And good evening, everyone, and welcome to the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church. It is Friday night with friends, and I am so pleased and excited and giddy and ornery to have my good friend, Dr. Eugene Wilson, with us tonight. But before we get to him, let me welcome all of you to our broadcast, and if this is your first time with us, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. You can learn more about us at our website at newarkupc.info. Uh, and uh, you can find out all kinds of information. Submit prayer requests, baptism requests. You can partner with us in giving. You can join a small group. If you're not in a small group, you want to, particularly in this season. That, along with these nightly broadcasts, is how we are making it through the COVID season. And uh, it will end, but we need to get there safely. So we're glad that you're here with us tonight. So if you've never been with us, Friday Night with Friends is a, a fun time. And uh, so before I even introduce this man to you, before I even tell you anything about him, Eugene, I got a, I got a, really, I got a really pressing question. Fire away. So you told me you were going to get on this show and you were going to be all dressed up because you got church to go to after us. Uh, Eugene lives in Texas, by the way, and Texas is not treating COVID the same way we are, but we won't get into all of that. So you said you were going to get all dressed up, so you're not all dressed up. So here's my million-dollar question. Okay. What kind of pants are you wearing? Blue jeans. Ha! See? Send me a million dollars. See? Look at that. It doesn't matter because you don't get seen on camera. I love Zoom. I can get dressed up without ever getting out of my now holy track pants. Yes, folks, every time you see me on this broadcast, I am in my track pants. I love it, Eugene. I don't know how I'm going to do church the way we used to. Comfort or because of the COVID gut? No, I don't have a COVID gut. I've lost weight over COVID. I've done well. No, I don't have COVID gut. I'm, I'm better. I'm going to go back looking slim and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's just comfort. It's just comfort. Yeah, I got my knee sticking out of my pants right now. It's pretty cool. Anyway, all right, folks, let's let's get more serious. In case you don't know, Eugene and I, uh, we're going to have some fun tonight. So let's get the formal stuff out of the way. All right, so Dr. Eugene Wilson serves as executive pastor at the Pentecostals of Katy, Texas. He is the founder of Equipping Leaders, which is a coaching and consulting organization. He's also a columnist for the Pentecostal Life. And he's an author of an obscene amount of books. And the man will not shut up. He just keeps writing and writing, such as Realign, Leading Growth, 70, and his newest one, Rodentivity. We'll get into that later. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School of Theology. He earned a Doctorate of Strategic Leadership from Regent University School of Business and Global Leadership, as well as before that, a Master's of Art a Master of Arts in Human Relations from Liberty University. He and his wife, Carrie, have two children, Cade and Jalen. Did I say Jalen correctly there? You did. All right, excellent. And so it is a joy to have Eugene with us tonight. Eugene and I met uh, a little little less than a year ago in uh, at a conference of my good friend John Petoskey in Winterfire, at Winterfire up in Connecticut. And... Um, I found out that Eugene had actually seen me before. I had not really seen him before. I had several of his books. I'd read the introductions. I hadn't gotten much further than that. But that's not about Eugene. That's more about Steve and how he reads. But anyway, 
And uh, so Eugene had seen me when I was moderating a symposium session at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. And so Eugene and I, I, I we were getting a, a ride to the conference and the driver was looking for whether he had everybody. And I saw somebody that looked Pentecostal coming down the hall. It was Eugene. And uh, I said, are you with the, with the conference? And he called me by name. And of course that threw me off. And I said, how do you, I, and anyway, we talked on the way in, found out that he knew who I was and I have no idea folks, but he and I connected. And the way you know it is, is almost immediately we started insulting one another. Now for all of you ladies that don't understand that, you're going to have to ask a male in your life to explain it. But the more that guys are comfortable with one another, the more rude we are to one another. My wife says that if she did that to any of her lady friends, they would never speak again in their life. Well, that's not how it works. And so over this COVID season, honestly, he and I have found that God, it was a divine appointment and we have been walking in faith in a lot of things. And uh, he has become a very good friend, someone I talk to, frequently and i have to have enough time because we rarely get on and talk that it doesn't turn into an hour or two where we're chatting and so it is my pleasure and uh, he's hot stuff folks i'm telling you man he's the leadership guru of the united pentecostal church all the books that he's writing all this kind of stuff so i can't even believe i got him on a friday night i don't know how that worked out but anyway eugene i'm really glad that you're here and uh, i'm looking forward to this and uh if you do well tonight maybe we'll have you back again but you, you got you got to earn you got to earn the first one, man. I'm not handing these out free, man. These are these are high profile interview slots, man. We're not handing them out for free here. So, all right. Yeah. I can tell you right now, you are definitely the smarter one. No now, why, why, why do you say that? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but why do you say that? Because you invited me on. Oh, <laughs> there we go. See, I knew there was a hook there. I knew there was something coming. I knew there was something coming. All right. So. In preparation for this, I did talk to Eugene ahead of time, and I, I said, Eugene, when it comes to leadership, we so many times, when it comes to anything really within the church, we always tell our success stories. We always talk about the things that work. And the problem is, is that when you're growing and when you're trying to learn, whether it's you, you're, you're coming out of the world and you're trying to learn how to be a Christian, or maybe you've been serving God for a while and you're starting to get the hang of that, and, and now you're trying to be an influence both within the world and within the church, or maybe you've even got the hang of that, but now you're moving on and you're developing yourself to be a greater influencer and with greater wisdom and knowledge. At every step of the way, we tend to tell people what to do. And the picture that comes out from that is that they know what to do. They always knew what to do. And the fact that we bumble around so much, it's because we're the idiot. <laughs> now, the reality is that's not the way it works. Everybody stumbles. Everybody fails. Everybody falls. And so I believe at times that it's more helpful to learn not from what worked, but from a reflection upon what doesn't work. Lessons learned from mistakes. And I'll put a bow on it, and then I want to get out of the way, and, and, and Eugene start talking a lot more. Um, I always say to great Bible quizzers, you all know that I'm a Bible quiz coach. I believe in Bible quizzing. I'm heavily involved in it. I tell great Bible quizzers, there are things you have to do, or you can't be a Bible quizzer. And there are things you have to do, or you can't be a Christian. There are things you have to do, or you can't lead. But there comes a certain point when you've done everything you're supposed to do. I tell Bible quizzers, if you want to be a great quizzer, you have to start missing questions. You have to start making mistakes. 
Because if you won't make those mistakes, you won't learn. And if you don't learn, you won't grow. And so tonight, I've asked Eugene, and we're going to take our time, and, and, and we're going to give you time to ask questions. And he's prepped. He's, he's more than prepped. Um, I want him to, to share with us some of the lessons of leadership, not that he would put in a book and say, okay, here's how you do it. Here's, here's the way it works. I don't want really Dr. Eugene Wilson, the leadership expert. I want the underbelly of that. I want what's some of the stuff you blew, bro? What's some of the stuff that went wrong and you learned from that? And some of these will be fairly serious, but also some of them will be funny. And uh, so what's our first one, Eugene? Oh, well, let me say real quickly, uh, thank you. Thank you, Steve, for uh, inviting me on. And this is fun. Um, wow. Um, I, um, I was family pastor for uh, nine years in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we, we had this area in the... Um, we had about 45 to 90 in our class every Sunday. And uh, it was in this big fellowship hall area and the classrooms for the Sunday school were on each side. So we need some kind of dividers and uh, to kind of anyone focused in on what our class was about. So we, we, we bought these dividers. I don't know how tall they stood. I don't, they were taller than I could reach uh, the top for sure. About nine foot, it seems like nine foot four. Had on wheels and we had those dividers up and I was consumed with those things being straight. So we had these little plastic, they're about this big, and they're like a U-shape, and you could put them right on the top where that divider would close, like kind of like an accordion. And so- um, Our church should know, recognize we have dividers like that. We've taken them out, but we had them in our fellowship hall. They're not nine feet tall, but we know you put those clamps on them. And I was also obsessed with them being straight. Oh, okay, well, there we are twins. And so I, I, I had a ladder and I would show up on Sunday. We had one o'clock Sunday school, two o'clock was our worship service. I showed up at one o'clock amongst all the other things we had to do. I actually, I would show up earlier and um, I would go around with that ladder and move it all the way around the entire room, putting those plastic pieces on, making sure the dividers are straight. Um, if the dividers got moved, you know, they'd pop off and then put them back on. And uh, I, I was so consumed with those things being straight. And I don't know, after nine months or so, it finally just dawned on me. I don't think anybody else cares. <laughs> and so I just decided, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And at first it was because I was a little ticked, you know, that no one else would care. I'm the only person who cares, you know, the whole Elijah syndrome, been there many times. And I finally just figured out, wait a minute, you know, I can focus on something that's trivial or I can focus on something that's much more important, like making sure that I had my lesson together making sure that I spent some time with the Lord and making sure I was connecting with people. I mean, there were so many other things that were important. So uh, it was a huge shift for me uh, trying to move away from things that were true. I remember going to the senior pastor office one day. I said, how do you do it? And he said, what? I said, how do you walk around and see this is not what it needs to be and this? I was talking about the building and things just being straight and cleaned up. And it wasn't like we were, it was dirty, but at times, you know, things would just happen. And he just laughed and he said, oh, he said, um, don't ever think that I don't see it. He said, I always see it. He said, you're just going to make up your mind. He said, are you going to pastor or are you going to go around and be a maintenance guy? Are you going to go around and deal with other things? And he told me a story about how that he got out in the, the yard of the church, actually was working in the flower beds. And one day got a phone call and he had to run to the hospital for emergency. And he's got his overhauls on. He's trying to get cleaned up. He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, are you going to major on people or are you going to major on the flower beds? And he said, that was the day I gave up my flower bed ministry. 
So I've applied those principles in my life over and over and over again and tried to really zero in on what I do well and what I don't do well. Try to let other people do those things, which is another, another story. Um, I once, <laughs> I, when I went to Bible college, I studied theology and then I wanted to write songs. So I still remember some of my songs I wrote. I had to write a song like Dottie Rambo style. I would always write the, the courses, but I wouldn't write the verses. Very few people even know that I, I wrote songs and, uh, and I played a little bit of musical instruments. Uh, I learned when I was in college. And so which, I instru tried, which instruments did you play? Uh, I, played the, I played, I grew up playing the bass and then I learned to play the piano and a little bit of the organ and I can mess around a little bit on the drums, but bass was the main one. It was all Southern gospel style. So I learned how to play the, the keyboard and uh, to, in order to write songs, I wanted to write songs, the creative side, I guess. Now just write the books, forget the songs. But um, yeah, I was going to say, I, there's I, the writer coming out in you, right? I wrote one for my wife one time. It said, uh, I think it went like, um, I don't need you like I used to. I don't need you like the day I love again. I don't need you like I used to, for I need you more today than I did then. But I never got to that line. She slapped, she slapped me around a little bit. And, yeah, I was going to so. say, I bet Carrie slapped you after you got done the first line. <laughs> she, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> she should have. She should have, yeah, almost certainly. So I had a, I, just all kinds of songs. But anyway, because of that, when I first got out of Bible college, I go, I go back home. My dad was a presbyter, and they had a need at one of the youth camps for someone to lead the choir. And somehow... I think it was my dad talking to someone else. My name got submitted. And the next thing you know, I'm the choir director at a youth camp of, you know, 300 young people. And then the next year I was choir director again. And then I was the orchestra director. And, uh, and, I, and I really wasn't that good. <laughs> I, was, I wouldn't even say I wasn't that good. I, I, it, was, it was pretty bad. Uh, it wasn't my calling. I, was, I it wasn't my gifting. I didn't have a lot of talent in the area. I'm still learning how to play the piano. I play the key of C, uh, G and F, and G was my favorite. And I could play around a little bit in B flat and E flat, a little bit in A flat, but for the most part, it was C, F, and G. And uh, so finally, I just realized, you know what? This is not my future. This is not who I am. It's not my talents. And so they, I got asked a third year. So evidently, I was doing something halfway decent, but I, I declined, and um, I gave up my music career as far as doing something in leading camps. and Look at that. Oh, my word. It was such a relief. And then it dawned on me years later. It was like, you know, there was, there was some other young adult out there who had a calling, a desire to be involved in music. And uh, that person was, they didn't have the opportunity because I, at least for those years, they didn't have the opportunity because I was the guy. And I was totally outside of my calling. So I've, I've applied that. I, I learned that when I was 22 years old. And I've applied that over and over again. And I don't have trouble at all in telling people, um, I don't know the answer. I, you know, I'm not good at that. I, I try to surround myself with people that who are good at things and, that I'm not good at. And um, I don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, I relish that. I, I want it so bad. Other people to excel in their areas that they're gifted in. And for me to do a couple things that I do halfway decent. All right. So what's something you were stupid at? You did the absolutely thing stupid. and you learned at it. Yeah. I, I want something that makes me kind okay. of chuckle. Okay. So um, I'm pastoring 
Uh, it is a. It's so a is this before or after you were family life pastor? This is before. Okay. So you're so pastoring? My father for a few years, and then my wife and I moved to East Tennessee. Um, my son was born a couple months after we moved there and was soon pastored of a small church. It had, it had nine, uh, nine people who elected as pastor. All right. Um, they said it was going to be 100%, and the former pastor was the founding pastor. So he and his wife had founding rights, so they were able to vote for us. And so they said it's going to be 11 to 0. Um, it was actually six yeses and five noes. Oh, pastor and his wife voted for us. So we assumed pastor of a church with four yeses and five noes. And so <laughs> that wasn't supposed to, that's, you're not supposed to laugh at that. That's supposed to be one of those sad things. Oh, the but, reason I'm laughing is, is because at my two votes, when I was voted associate pastor and when I was voted as pastor, both times my dad sat me down and said, son, before the vote comes in, you need to decide what's an acceptable percentage or you decline. He says, because just because you get 50 percent, that doesn't mean you're ready to go. And Eugene, you didn't even get 50 percent. No, I did not get 50 percent. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm, Which was I'm, not, I'm so sorry for the pain that you must oh, have felt at you. that moment. <laughs> thank you. So I pastor this small church, and at the time, I don't know, it seems, like, it seems in the back of my memory, back of my mind, my memory, maybe 25 people or so. You know, we're about a year, year and a half into it. It, it jumped, we increased, six months, we had 50-some people, and, and then it went back down again. So this is somewhere in that little first year or so. And this guy comes in. His brother had come in. He was playing the keyboard and playing the, the drums. He was a good guy. And then his brother, his, his older brother, gets comes back to the Lord. He's been away from the Lord for years. Comes in, and within like a week or two, man, he's all fired up. And so about the third or fourth service, he says, hey, he says, can I testify? Can I, can I, can I say something? And like just an absolute, I can't believe I did it. Just It was so crazy. I handed him the microphone. He grabs the microphone. That was a rookie mistake. Eugene. Oh, my goodness. He grabs <laughs> the microphone and starts rebuking the church. He's like, if you would live right, if you would. I mean, he's just going to town. He's screaming and hollering. And, and he's like, if you would live right, if you would just live for God and you make so many mistakes, what's wrong with you? I mean, he's like just going to town. And 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 he, and he goes and he goes and he goes. And, and the church is just as tight. as like, And they're looking at me. And I keep moving closer and closer, and he would not stop. And finally, finally, I'm standing right next to him, and I reach up, and I put my hand around the microphone and forcefully pull the mic away from him. <laughs> oh, my word. It was such a bad mistake. I've never done that one again. Now, I have. Let me come back to that in just a second. Let me tell you what I learned out of that. What I learned is that being nice is not always the same thing as being a leader. I was trying to be nice to this guy, and I should have just said no and, and, and not have done that. I could have found a different way, and I know that now. So, now, Eugene, I know that you will find this hard to believe. You did the my same thing. No, no, no. My congregation does not worry about me needing to learn that lesson. They're concerned that as a leader, I learned that niceness can work with being a leader because I have no problem being mean when I need to be okay. mean. So you're the bad twin. I'm the good twin. Well, that's one way. You can that's say, good yes. I'm the twin that dwells in in light. You're the twin that dwells in darkness. That's that's how. <laughs> I could still go there, but I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Anymore. All right. All right. All right. So so years later. I mean, we're talking years and years later. 
years later. I'm quite older now. And uh, we have a Thanksgiving service, and I decided to have multiple people give their testimony. I gave them a, a, a certain time limit. And a dear sister gets up, and her mom has just like recently passed away, and she was torn up. And she gets up, and she says, I have something from the Lord. Now, when someone says, I have something from the Lord, I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, you can't refute that. They got a word from the Lord. She says, but before I tell you that, let me tell you this. As she goes in this whole story about her mom, which is, you know, who's sad, um, 25 minutes later, supposed to be five minutes, 25 minutes later, <laughs> and we've already got a whole lineup of like nine people speaking five minutes, it'll be 45 minutes, you know, and 25 minutes later, I'm standing, I had to get up out of my seat, I come up, I'm standing there, and I'm doing the same thing, I'm reaching over, grabbing the microphone, and I'm having flashbacks, you know, so I learned another lesson. Um, and that lesson basically is don't have testimonials. <laughs> so they can be they can really sure be the challenging. Lesson, but, they can be challenging. Oh my! What I actually what I learned then is that you know you got five minutes and that's it, and I will come take the microphone away. That's just right. So you know, and all you got to do is follow the Pauline principle. You 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 warn one, and once you warn one, all the others are warned. So <laughs> nobody wants the microphone taken away. So if you take the first five minutes, the first person's away, then you're good to go. All the rest are probably going to pay attention to the time more. There you go. <laughs> I had a thinking about, and when you ask me about some of these things, man, my mind just started racing because there's just so many, and you're just trying to think, okay, which ones do you want to share? You know. I had one when I was young. I was I was a young minister and I'm preaching. My, my dad pastored a small church out in the, it's a rural area of Indiana, right north of Indianapolis. And there was a there was a, a man who knew me when I was a baby. He, his son was one of my closest friends, and and this this guy is a very serious, very slow speaker. Not a you know he's he, he's not an inspiring eye. You know, talk about the disc personality. He's a cautious contemplator. And he's very, very serious. And I would get up in service and leave him worship, and he would he would not get with it. Like I want, wanted him to get with it. I mean, he's not like clapping his hands, and he's not, hey man. And and I'm fresh out of Bible college, and and I would zero in on this guy, and it was just like, you know, if I can get him to really worship, if I can get him to respond, then you know we're going to have victory today. And I would get in, I would go after it. And my dad was sitting behind me and my dad would say, go on, Gene, go on, move on, Gene, move on. And I'm like, no, he said, go on, go on, Gene, go on. And I would be like, oh, he wants me, he wants me to get it, man. He wants me to, you know, really get it, get after it. So I'd even go even more so about the third time that that happened. We'd go home for supper on Sunday. And he says, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to straighten that guy out. He said, Sonny, because you're not going to straighten him out. I said, he's been that way all of, all of my life, all, the entire time I've ever known him. He said, why are you focusing on something like that? I said, well, he's, and I went back into it again. He said, son, he said, focus on those who are following, those that are with you, those that are worshiping. And he said, and don't worry about the other. And I'll never forget that. I'm in my early 20s. And from that day forward, I it has been a building blocks in my life in that area is that you know what you're always going to have people who are not going to follow people are not going to show up people you know the list goes on and on and you can focus on that and let it frustrate you or you can focus on what is good and move forward so i just determined a long time ago you know i'm going to focus on what is good 
and keep moving forward as much as I can. You know, I'm still human, but I, I try. I try. Well, and what's interesting in that story too is, and I don't know if in this particular example this is the case, but we many times read who's following incorrectly. Oh. And, we, re- we read it off. Of, and so I don't know if this guy was, but sometimes you find out the person you think that's sitting on you or is not following or the person who asked those questions and you're like, man, why are they doing that? You find out they are your biggest fan or they are Absolutely. the one who is most committed and you just didn't know how to read Absolutely. their I've personality. Seen. Absolutely. So I, you know, I say that I, I learned that. I didn't really learn it right then. It was my, the, the beginning of the journey. Because it, it was, I don't know. It was a couple of years later, a year or so later. I, you know, I'm still going after it again with that guy. And I got up and I preached the message. And my message title was, I've had enough and I ain't going to take it no more. <laughs> and he was my, it was the mental image of who I was going to preach to. I've had enough, me, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And uh, I went after it and he walked up to me after service. And he looked at me and very, very slow talker. He said, you do realize that I've had the Holy Ghost longer than you've been alive. And he just looked at me, waiting for some kind of response. And I said, yes. Then tears came to his eyes. He said, I needed that message today. <laughs> so that was, that was a dumbass speaketh moment because the way you preached it probably wasn't the way he took it. And God somehow put a filter in between. <laughs> Most certainly. Most certainly. He became what you just said. He became my biggest supporter. When my daughter was born, he drove all the way from Indiana to East Tennessee and, uh, and had money and bought my wife a rocker for my daughter. And my wife just happened to go pick out the most expensive one that she could find. And, um, and he bought that for her. He, he, he loved me. Still does. He's in his he's in his late 80s. And yep. uh, no, I've, I've learned that. I've learned the reason I recognize it is I've learned that that it's easy to misread people's their faces, their expressions, they, even their mannerisms, their personality. Oh, and we so think true. you know they're not loving God or they're sitting on you or they're yeah. whatever it is, and you find out, no, not really. So true. So a little bit somewhat more serious, but stays in the same vein what you're saying is that I, I, I once, and I, I, I just, I didn't know, but I assumed pastor of a family pastor and we, we had about 150 young marrieds that we were the family pastor of. And um, so I, we had never had family ministries at the time at this church and I had to um, construct a, a team. So I went out to get my team together. And the next thing I know, um, I think I had a team of 12, young marrieds um there were six couples so there were 12 on the team and the senior pastor one day asked me he said um he said tell me about your team and i told him and uh I, i'll skip the details how he brought it around but he put me on an assignment to be do some some kind of analyzing my level of influence with young marrieds and while i was doing that and he knew what he was doing i didn't catch it but while i was doing that it dawned on me that my entire family ministries team was comprised of people who had been at that church for about three years. Whereas the majority of the young marrieds were people who had grown up in that church or had been there quite some time. So that exercise showed me that I had, um, I thought I had great influence. 
I thought I had a great team, thought things were going forward. And I began to realize, oh, wait a minute. You know, I have influence over just a small segment of people who are looking for a place to get involved. And because it was a new ministry, it was easier to get involved. I knew it was easier to connect with me. And when I recognized that, I immediately went to a young married who had been the youth pastor for 11 years. And I said, I need you to be my assistant. He said, why? And I said, I'm going to be straight up with you. I said, one, I said, we get along well. Because I'd known him for some years before I moved there. I said, we get along well. Um, I believe in you. I think we work well together. I said, but my biggest deal is, I said, you have influence with a lot of people that I don't have influence with. And uh, so I learned back then how to borrow influence. So I'm here serving with, with uh, Robin and, uh, McKee and his daughter walks up one day. We're doing a remodel and uh, there's something on the platform we, she wanted done different. And the majority of us wanted it except for the senior pastor. And she came up to me. She said, Hey, she said, can you, can you get rid of that? I said, Oh, absolutely. I said, I, I, I could. I said, but I think you need to go talk to your, to your dad, get your mom, and you, you go talk to your dad and talk him into it. And she started laughing and she said, Oh, brother Wilson, she said, you, you have more influence in that area with our, with my dad than we do. She said, that's what happened to you. And I'm like, it just dawned on me. Here's a 15 year old that understood the value that leadership is influence and understood that, you know what, if I connect to the right person, then I gain influence over others through that person. So it wasn't manipulation, but she, she was just smart. That's where I was just getting ready to go. I was going, Eugene, did you just get manipulated by the 15 year old? I, I had someone ask me a question the other day. They said, what is the difference between manipulation and um, in, in inspiration, inspiring somebody. And I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever read it, but my response immediately, motive, motive. So I think if you try, if you, you, you manipulation, your motive is you, Inspir, inspiration or inspiring somebody, your motivation is a bigger picture. She knew, man, it, almost everybody in the church wanted it gone. So she, she knew how to pull it together. So she borrowed influence. So anyway, I could go on and on. Give us one more. Give us, give us one more thing. Okay. This is something I did as in church as a pastor. And I also did this in my marriage. It's a mistake. Blessed are the peace. Makers. Yeah. So my mistake was that for years, blessed are the peace seekers. So I sought peace. And I had to realize that to be a peacemaker means that you have to deal with conflict. You got to deal with confrontation. And I don't like confrontation, don't like conflict. Struggle with that. And I finally had to realize that if my marriage is going to grow. I have an issue with conflict too. Yours is not my issue though. <laughs> it's not? No, it's not. <laughs> You don't know me long enough to know that, do you? Oh, I know. I knew it the first night we talked. It was easy <laughs> to see. So my, my deal was is that I thought, you know what? If I can somehow seek peace, it eventually the problem will go away. And some problems don't go away. So if you want something to grow, you got to get involved. You got to work it, through oh, it. Not You, you got to work through it, not duck your head around it. Absolutely. Now, if you're too quick to the draw, you create more problems that, yeah. you know, probably would have gone away on some own. So you got to be, you got to know the balance, the dichotomy of leadership. That's right. There you go. And believe it or not, I have learned that lesson now. Why? But you had to learn it coming from the other direction. That's correct. But nobody believes I've learned it. They still think that I just go way too fast, but. 
in your world, you have slowed down. Oh, in comparison to most people, you probably still are pretty fast. That's right. I'm big time slowed down compared to where I used to be. <laughs> big time. And, and I have and I have sped up. I'm a little quicker to the draw now. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a funny story that ties into preaching at this guy. So th this is kind of infamous to, to those that have been around Newark for a while. So I don't think I was yet the senior pastor. I was an associate pastor with my dad. And there was a group of people, they typically came on Easter, but they would always come Easter and sometimes Christmas as well. The CE Christians, you know, Christmas and yeah. Easter Christians. And they had been coming for decades, decades. So I got up on an Easter Sunday morning and I preached a message that it had all good content. It had the Bible. It had everything that it was supposed to have, but it had another dose of something else, which was, look, folks, if you think this is going to work for you, you might as well stay home because this showing up on Christmas and Easter alone isn't going to cut it. And so I preached that. All right. I, I lit it up. Well, there were several families who had extended members who it was a very big deal that they would come on Christmas and Easter and they were mad. They were hot. They were lit yeah. up. They were yeah. all this kind of thing. And they let my dad know and all this kind of thing. So dad didn't really correct me. He didn't really say anything to me. He didn't, he didn't do anything like that. And he didn't really respond to the people. And you don't know my father, but my father is, he's not, I think he's probably less comfortable with conflict than I am. However, he will deal with conflict. He does not run from conflict. Yeah, I will now. I've yeah. totally changed. Well, he, he, I'm, I don't mind conflict. And so I've, I've, but I do want to be effective. And so I've learned over the years <clears throat> how to moderate some things so I can be effective, but so he didn't deal with anything. He just left it alone. So a few months went by and I forget how it came up, but I, but either somebody in the church asked me or asked, Hey, who's preaching next Easter? Or I got the idea, but somehow I got to my dad and I said, Hey dad, who's preaching next Easter? And I'll never forget. He was, he must've been reading something because I remember him looking up at me and he didn't even smile. He just kind of looks at me and he goes, Oh son, that was settled the moment you preach that CE sermon. Because the next <laughs> I preached. You the next Easter I preached. He's like, oh no, you don't you don't do that and back away. He said, because you might have needed some, he didn't use these exact words, but you might have needed some wisdom in how you did it. But what you spoke was truth. And the fact that the people don't like truth well, then we're just going to take it right back to truth again. I will tell you, when I preached the next Easter, I did not light everybody up the way I did the first time. <laughs> so, <coughs> youth is made for war, and elders are made for wisdom. <laughs> you know, th this isn't, th I'm sorry, this isn't funny, but man, I've wondered about this. This is our relationship for everybody who doesn't know. We laugh and then we get real serious. It's like back and forth all the time. That's right. Years ago, I was counseling someone. It was a, it was a young young um, lady, um, just newly married, about a year into her marriage. And then I just really felt led of the Lord. I believe that this lady had been um, sexually molested at some point in her life. 
And so um, I began sharing a story. And basically said, you know, a lot of times when you have these kind of issues in your marriage, this could be a contributing factor. I basically just suggested it. But I think that she knew that I knew. I'll never forget it, Steve. She stood up, tear running down her face, wiped the tear off her face, shook my hand and said, thank you. I mean, we weren't even done. She just stood up immediately, wiped the tear, thank you, walked out the door and uh, didn't come back. Left her husband, walked away from the Lord. And I have wondered, I, I still don't know the answer. I've wondered for years, just because I saw something and knew, you know, this is what it is. Did it mean that I needed to act on it? Did it mean that I needed to say something? I, and I still don't have the answer in that situation. It haunted me for a long time. Still don't have the answer. Yeah, and that that that's the challenge. And I think in, I, I hate this. I don't like this. Uh, but Regina and I, a number of years back, we, you know, as, as a young couple with, with our children, we, we set up our lifestyle. We set up our home. We set up their environment. We, we chose to homeschool them. So we really controlled what they were in, involved with, what they were exposed to, all trying to, you know, we learned from our mistakes. We learned from our parents' mistakes. Uh, we both grew up in the church. So every mistake we had made, we'd made inside the church. And so we, we knew where those pitfalls were. We both grew up preacher's kids. So we both knew the challenges of growing up in a preacher's home. And so we, we put all of that together and at some point, as time moved along, she and I looked at one another and we said, we got a problem. We want our children to avoid all these mistakes. And yet, you and I both know that what has made us who we are is our mistakes yeah. more than our successes. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we just go out and, you know, Right. Didn't like crazy or go make a bunch of mistakes or be stupid. But there is this conundrum that in our world in which we're living, wisdom comes more from missing questions than it does from answering them perfectly. Well, very, very much along that line. Two years ago this month, I was praying and had prayed this prayer for years. God, protect my children, protect my children. And the Lord spoke to me. After years of praying this, the Lord spoke to me and said, oh, so you don't want them to come forth as gold. So no fire, my... no fire, no purity. That's exactly yeah, I right. I changed my prayer. Yeah, I changed my prayer. Absolutely. I, I told the Lord I was sorry, and then I changed my prayer. Absolutely. I, I've taught the church this, that, and this is the genius of God. This is the brilliance of God. This is the power of God. Sin as much as it grieves him, is fully in his control. And sin does not know moderation. And so it comes back around. I, I liken it to a snake, you know, the imagery of yeah. a serpent. It comes back around and eats its own tail. It, it always does. And as long as the gospel is present, as long as the spirit of God is present, in those moments, God will actually teach us and sometimes I believe that he backs up and lets sin grow worse in order to create the context and the environment to show forth the grace. And we learn from it. Well, and, maybe, if that's and if that's true of sin, then how much more is it true of just human yeah. error or Amen. mistakes? So maybe that gives some depth and meaning to a righteous man falleth seven times. 
not an ungodly man, but a righteous man falleth seven times. Absolutely. I love that song by Bob Carlisle, the, you know, the one that of the guy it's back in our era, you know, the guy walks by the monastery and he, he, he finally sees a priest come out and he's like, what's it like in there? And, and the priest says, we fall down. And oh, we, we get up. We fall down. We and fall we down, get up. We get up. And that's a powerful saint, image. Or a saint is just a sinner who falls down and gets up. Absolutely. It's a powerful image. I mean, it, it tells a story and the music's beautiful. And, and I often think of that. I didn't want my children to fall down. I don't want leaders to fall down. Right. I you don't want to make I, a mistake. <laughs> you and I have spent time where I'm frustrated. I'm growing people and I'm like, ah, I don't want them to do that. And you're like, Steve, chill out. Give them some space. But I don't want them to fail. It's not, it's for, no, they might, you speak, you lead, you speak, but then you might want to. I know we're probably running out of time. I got to tell, I got to tell one more real quick. That's fine. Go ahead. And then we'll turn to some questions. Okay. So, um, 20, 20, in 2000, I brought together a few leaders and I said, um, I want to talk about vision 2020. And this is what we're going to do in the next 20 years at the church. And I had this grand vision and we were going to start this kid's church and it was going to have its own separate building at a strip mall. And we're going to get sponsors and, and they're going to, and grants. And we're going to go, you know, I just went on and on and on. And at the very end, I laid out all this grand vision for the entire night, about an hour and a half of me talking with about five leaders. I said, so what do you think? The assistant says, well, he said, and I find you, we're a whole missions church, um, 25 people or so. And he goes, well, because you know how that you and I on some of those Sundays, we got those puppets and we do some things for the kids, which I was on some of the Sunday mornings. He said, you got that um, um, Dudley and it was, uh, it was this dog. He says, well, he says, when we uh, go to open their mouths, we're supposed to be opening their mouth. He said, we're closing it. And when we close their mouth, we're supposed to be open. He said, yeah. I think we need to practice with our, um, our puppets. So that was his response to my grand vision. Got to learn how to open the puppets. Yes. My grand vision of corporate sponsors and this, you know, just on and on the whole entire night. That was his, his comment. And they walked out the door and I looked at my wife and I said, what is wrong with these people? I said, don't they see the vision? I was just disheartened. I'm like, and disheartened and aggravated. And she says, Eugene, she said, you are so far down the road from the rest of us. She said, you've got to figure out where we are and come back here and walk with us. Because I believe in you. I believe in the vision. Write this stuff down. Hold on to it. She said, but come back here and walk with us, please. She said, you're so far out front. She goes, none of us can even fathom how to get there. Yeah, that's the challenge. <laughs> I can identify. By the way, to the Newark congregation, if you think I'm miles ahead, oh, you should see where I'm actually looking. <laughs> <laughs> Which was another mistake as a leader to be that far ahead. Oh, my word. It's a challenge because he shows it to you far ahead, and then you have to know when to speak it, when to, yeah. Yeah. When to articulate. Oh, so true. How to carry it out. All right, That's Joyce, what do we got? We got some questions coming in. We have a few, but right. can I ask? How did you change your prayer after God spoke with you about what you were praying for your kids? I, I, I literally, at that moment, just said, God, I, I'm sorry. And, and I started praying that, God, I know that my children are going to go through things. And um, just, just walk with them. Just, just be there with them and, uh, and help them grow. Because I look back at my life and I look back at my wife's life and I see what God did. 
in our lives and where we are today because of the things that we experienced. And um, I didn't know it at the time that I was praying that, that about eight months later, one of my children would walk into my office and, and start telling me some things. And it wasn't a mistake that they made. It was a mistake that someone else made in their life that impacted them. And they started sharing it with me. And it, it knocked the wind out of me. But uh, the Lord reminded me that day, oh, remember that prayer? And I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And so, and then also in that, you know, the, the Lord knows what we're praying before we even before we even pray it. And I believe that the Lord was answering my prayer years before with my child. And he was just trying to get me caught up with what he was already doing. He knew I was going to pray that prayer. He was just bringing it around, connecting the dots for me. I could go on. It was a, it was a life-altering moment. And what God taught me out of that lesson when my daughter um, came, well, I just said it now. <laughs> my daughter came to me and, uh, and began to share some things. And, um, and the lessons that I learned in that journey over the course of a few days were mind-blowing to me. But I'd, I'd been, I actually had notes, and I was going to teach a lesson from Philippians. And uh, I believe it was four, and I don't want to say verse seven. I may be wrong with the verse, but it says that um, with prayer, prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto the Lord. And then the peace, which passes understanding, you know, you'll, you'll have this peace. And so I was tore up. My wife kept asking me, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I, I, I wouldn't talk about it. And uh, so finally, I opened up and, uh, and, and told my wife, but right before that happened, I'll never forget, I walked into her bedroom. No one knew at the time. And I just lifted my hands and I just began to thank the Lord. And what I saw then was that for several days, I had begged God and I didn't feel peace. I had commanded God and I didn't feel peace. But when I began to thank God, all of a sudden I felt the peace. So I learned something in my prayers was to be coupled with Thanksgiving. And uh, it was a powerful moment in my life. And then I've watched what God's in my daughter's life. And it's just, it's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. There's so much to that story. At some point in time, I have a feeling that I may be sharing more about it. The challenge for us is to recognize that while God does not approve of sin, God is much less um, shocked. And he's certainly not displaced in his power or his love by sin. Amen. And so when I say that sin is in his control, I'm not saying that he originates sin, right. confirming sin, uh, that sin is something to be pursued or even to not be fought against. But we need to, in the vein of our theme this week, church of, you know, Jesus loves you and you can't do anything about it. Understand nothing separates you from the love of God. Amen. And so the love of God is much more secure than we are able to fully comprehend because the only love we understand is human love, which is as much as it can be very strong, it is conditional. And God's love is unconditional. It doesn't mean there aren't ramifications for our actions, but his love is unconditional. And so from that place of pure strength, he's whipping sin. He's absolutely. And so he lets sin defeat itself. He, in fact, He's just much more in control of that than we realize and are even comfortable allowing him to be because we want him to, he, we want heaven now. We don't get heaven now. He's never promised heaven now. He said, I'm doing something because 
in our brokenness is how we reach other broken people. Can you imagine how absolutely unapproachable we would be if we actually had it together? Sometimes with us not having it together, we're very unapproachable. We're sometimes very pharisaical. Imagine if we actually had it all together. And so that brokenness is part of those cracks are where the light comes out. That's how people connect to us. But we have to learn to relax in that and understand that and relax that God loved your child long before. Absolutely. You had the ability to even understand. So, all right, Joyce, what do we got? Got some other questions, comments? Yes. And by the way, I have a quote from you and you had said it's in your pain that the lost of the world sees hope. That's a quote from me. Uh, mm-hmm. See, Joyce, Eugene, I got to tell you something about Joyce. Pretty good. Joyce is wanna... like, she's a pack rat <laughs> for information. Calls me a troll. She has, oh, she, yeah, that's exactly right. She is. She oh. trolls our video. She, now she's great because she puts these posts out on social oh media. I don't even remember saying them. I mean, I sound pretty smart, but I don't even remember saying these things. And here they come and they say, Stephen, she writes me. Here's a funny one too. make everybody laugh. So she writes me this text and she goes, is it okay to post this? And it, it was something along the lines that, uh, you know, if you'll give, if you'll give your screw ups to God, God can use them something along those lines. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, what's, what's the deal? What's she, cause Joyce is very proper, very careful. She's the opposite of me, Eugene. Oh, I, you didn't have to tell me. I know she is careful and moderated. She's great. She answers our phone. She makes appointments. It's, it's much better since Joyce has been doing that because she's just very, very measured. So I'm like, what's her problem? And then I notice who said it. It's a quote from our executive pastor. So I'm like, post it. If she can't handle her screw ups, then that's her problem. <laughs> but she's great about finding these quotes there. I no, I, I may have said it, Joyce, if you found it, I believe I said it. In one of your old sermons. I'm sure there's there's hundreds of them, probably thousands now after 25 years. Can you tell us the history of the picture behind you? Oh, (laughs) I don't know that. I don't know the details on all I know is that years ago, my wife found this um, this painter and every every painting has a bicycle in it. And it's kind of like a Spanish around the the around water. I don't know. She knows more about it than I know. So we have like eight of them or so, and every one of them, there's a bicycle in it. And it's on water, so it's my wife still. It was fun. We were young Marys, and she was started buying all these pictures, so we kept, kept collecting for quite some years. They're not originals, but they're, they're fun. We love the water, and she likes bicycles. <laughs> it's pretty. Thank you. How do you define leadership and how does a person find their role of what leadership means? Uh, great question. Uh, how do I define leadership? Um, for, for me, uh, there, there are two definitions that I like a lot. Uh, there, there are literally hundreds of definitions of leadership. There's no one central definition. But uh, Henry and uh, Richard Blackaby, uh, they have a book called Spiritual Leadership. And they suggest that uh, leadership, at least spiritual leadership, is um, influencing people away from self-agenda towards God's agenda. And I really, really like that definition a lot. Anything that would lead people away from self-agenda towards God's agenda. So that's what Jesus did. 
uh, was constantly calling his disciples away from the pursuit of self and and uh, self-preservation and alignment with what God's agenda was. So I like that definition. Another one that I like a lot um, says something along this line. It says that leadership is influencing people to um, to orbit around the common purpose, to achieve something that's, you know, achieve, achieve a common purpose, something that was great, it's something that's important. And um, so I, re I really like that definition. So what I find in most of the definitions I like, there are several others that I've studied. Um, I like the word influence. I like the word a common purpose. I like the word like uh, values and somehow leadership is getting people to center around those things. For a long, a long time, uh, people have bought into the mindset that um, a leader is all about that leader's charisma. They say the great man theory, you know, if I'm the great person that everyone will follow me. And ultimately we, we don't really want to do that. That's not the goal. It's not about people orbiting around me, it's about us orbiting around a common purpose and core values. So I talk about that a lot. So for me, that is the essence of leadership. So servant leadership is a big deal nowadays, especially within the church world and uh, multiple colleges and um, Urshan College, they, their follow is servant leadership. And uh, you find that over and over again, but servant leadership kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, because I, I find the scripture, Paul says that I don't serve you, I serve God. Uh, you know, I, I get my mar marching orders from him, not from people. So I, I do believe there is a role in serving others. Jesus certainly demonstrated that with the towel on his, you know, in washing the disciples' feet. Yet at the same time, he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So God's purpose, the central purpose is always bigger than a person. And so my, what scares me about servant leadership is that we could raise up a generation that just believes that our number one, um, you know, motive and the number one thing that we should be doing is just serving people. So then whatever somebody else wants, then that's what I have to, you know, have to do. Or if they have needs, then I have to meet those needs. And I think we'll raise up a generation that maybe is a little weak on being centered on his purpose. And then perhaps uh, a people who are leaders who will experience burnout because they're trying to meet the needs of people as opposed to listening to his voice. And Jesus, you know, he walked away from needs at times. So I think it's very central and very, very important that we hear his voice and that we get our marching orders from him. So yes, we serve others, but ultimately it's our, our serving him. So I, I think that in doing that, his purpose, his timing, his voice, those things in our life, uh, we will serve others, we'll influence others, um, but it will be the common purpose in those core values. I really like your answer, Eugene, because another another maxim uh, coming from John Maxwell, which is if you uh, are leading and you look behind you and nobody's following, you're not really a leader. And on the one sense, on the one level, I, I get it. I understand exactly what he's articulating. On another level, though, that removes that whole influence and that whole leadership that is in the prophetic tradition. Was Jeremiah a leader? The unequivocal answer is yes, but the basis of it was not on the basis of did Israel follow him, but rather did Jeremiah serve Israel by following God right. and following God's agenda. And so while I absolutely do not want to just categorically set aside Maxwell's statement, I think there needs to be, and you've articulated another piece of it, some modification to understand yes. it. I have a little corny saying, which is, and it's very 
applied leadership, meaning pastoral, I say, if you pasture the sheep for the sheep, there will come a day when you are tired of their bleeding and you will have a Barbie. You have to pastor the sheep for the shepherd. Yep. Yep. Never fails you. The sheep, Newark, I love you all. You're great. But sometimes your band gets really loud and I get tired of it. Here we go again. If I'm think about this with Jeremiah. Think about this with Jeremiah. Was he successful? I would argue he was, but not according to human standards. He was successful by God's standard. There you go. Hey, Jesus gives one, five, in the parable, he presents, he says, the master gives one servant five talents, another one two, the other one one. Which one was the most successful? Those who were obedient. Well, for us, it's the guy who had five, okay? Yeah, but it's he not. Has the most, okay? So let's, let's just flip the roles for a second. The one with the five buries the five talents and does nothing with them. He'd the one with the two invested, he has four. The one with the one invested, he has two. Who's the most successful? That's right. In our eyes, still the guy with the five, because five is more than four. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We're, we're messed up, man. That's right. Because we because it's about our agenda. It's about our self-validation. It's all of those kinds oh, of yeah. things. We want to look good. And leadership is a problem there. I like the term. In fact, in our church, we call leadership servantship. And I take your, I agree with you. Who are you serving? You know this by my quote about the sheep. You cannot lead by serving the people. You serve the people by first and foremost serving the master whose people they are. Amen. So I I, I spoke at UGST for a Dean's Lecture Series and my proposed title. by By the way, do you know who started the Dean's Lecture Series? Regina Beardsley. Nope. And so. I did. Anyway, a little, a little self, a little self promotion. I knew the answer. I just want, I just wanted you to know that you were, you were invited to something that was my brainchild. All right, go ahead. So I said, here's my proposed title. Now again, it's Urshan and their, their whole motto is, you know, servant leadership. So my proposed title for my session was what's wrong with servant leadership. (laughs) That did not um, get accepted. So they didn't accept it. Oh, no, no. They so just, I retitled it. Yeah. See, you, my new you, title, you, my new you, title you, you would have accepted it. I know. I know. You just you need know, a different dean. My new title, How the Servant Leadership Model Can Be Improved. There you go. Hey, I taught a course on the role of women within the Pauline communities. And I proposed to uh, Sister Drury. She was the dean at the time. I proposed uh, doing the session and calling it Putting Women in Their Place. <laughs> She said, no, Steve, I know where you're going, but we need to not go with that title. I thought it was a great title. That one actually was Regina's title. She said, Steve, that's it. Putting women in their place. All, all, all the guys who don't like women and don't treat them right, they'll come because they'll think it means one thing. And then you can flip it on them. Anyway. Yeah. All right, Joyce, get us out. Now you can see where you, Eugene and I will ping out all over the place. So get us back. Where, where are we going next? What? We're almost out of time, but let's make sure we answer all the questions. Okay, so back to mistakes. In the vein of mistakes, can you each share one of your most embarrassing moments? You go first. (laughs) Ah, most embarrassing moments. Okay, yes, I can. So as many of you know, uh, we, we, in the end of January, beginning of February, we go uh, on vacation to Vermont. I love the snow. 
uh, and uh, Regina doesn't, but she loves the fire. So, you know, we work it out. And so, so we go for two weeks there. And while there, uh, we have come to have a church family there that we go to church. Uh, and in fact, now, because I leave uh, and I'm gone for two weekends, thanks to the pastoral team, I'm actually gone two weekends. We get to go to church two weekends at that church. And so there is a young lady who, um, I don't want to say the wrong disease. Regina, you can type it in the chat. I cannot remember the exact disease. I think it's, I don't even want to say it, but it affects, it affected her legs and her walking, okay, and her muscle control. And so uh, this young lady, she's now fully grown. She's, uh, she has a bachelor's degree. She uh, is married uh, and is a good friend, but I only knew her just slightly, okay? I would see her every year. It'd been a few years. And so I don't know how I missed it, but I did not know that she, she was born with this condition and she, and she struggled with it. Uh, Joyce, once Regina types it, pipe in and tell me what it is. Uh, it's cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy, that's mm -hmm. it. See, I was gonna go to a wrong one there, cerebral palsy. And so this girl's got cerebral palsy. And so we're headed into this pizza joint after a Sunday night, kind of a tradition with some of the folks. Her father's an elder in that church. And, and we're headed in and it's snowing, of course, it's snow all the ground. And she's, and I noticed that she's got this gate, this odd gate. And I look at her and I go, what's wrong with you, Gimpy? Now, it, I'm clueless. I don't have any idea. Well, this girl obviously has dealt with all kinds of things. So she looks at me and she goes, I have cerebral palsy. And I'm like, oh, no. So I'm standing there. And, you know, when you blow it, you got to lean into it. So I'm just standing there and I'm like, Andrea, I, I am so sorry. And she starts laughing. Thank God that it, oh. And she, and she says, it's all right. It's no big deal. Okay. So I'm like, holy mackerel. But I've learned over the years that my mouth that is powerful at times will blow it at times. The same mouth that creates those powerful quotes that you like to go find, Joyce, also create powerful moments of mistake. So on the way out that night, now this is where everybody else would have stiffened up and never touched the subject again. So we're headed out the door from the pizza joint. I look at her and that little twinkle I get in my eye that many of you know, I got a twinkle in my eye and I said, have a good night, Gimpy. And she busted up laughing. And I kid you not, when I go to Vermont, if I don't see her, she's now moved to another location. I always get a message through her parents if I see her at a conference, in fact, at Winterfire, you probably didn't see her, Eugene, but that young lady came down and spoke with me, gave me a hug, saw me, and I have to be careful who, who hears it, but I still to this day call her Gimpy. It's a joke between us because here I am. I'm this pastor. I'm this preacher. I'm this important person from the way she's looking at it. Not the way I'm looking, but the way she's looking at it, and I blew it. And so when I humble myself every single time, it's an equalizer. And so that's probably the worst that I've ever done, Joyce, is that one. That was just, that was mortifying. But I leaned into it. I rolled with it. All right, Eugene, you're on the hook. Oh, I have many. I have many, many. Well, we many. know that, but we just want one. Oh, yeah. So one of the more recent ones that was really, really bad was um, 
I, I didn't learn phonics, so I sight read. So if I learn a word the wrong way, it gets like it's a mental block and I'm having to like totally correct myself all the time when I read the word. So even like today, I'm, I'm 54 years old. I've written all these books. I can write. And I, I don't know how to tell you to write. I don't know why I can write, but I, I can write. And not a bright singer, but, I, but I'm, a, I'm a good writer. And, um, and yet I read the word debris as derbis. And I have to constantly stop myself in my mind and go debris before the words come out of my mouth. <laughs> and it happens all the time. So I'm up, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. So I'm up teaching uh, a few years ago you know, since we've been here in, in, in Katy. And, um, and I, I'm doing a series on Accelerate. And I say Accelerate. And for some reason in my mind, I think you just said that wrong. And I instantly go to correct it. I'm like, okay, and I go to say it right, but I've already said it right. So now I'm saying it wrong. And I stumble when I go to say it because I'm like, oh man, I'm stumbling again. I'm still not getting this word right. So I'm trying to correct it. So then I go on. Well, then I, I did it again. Now, now years ago, before I finished the story, years ago, I'm up and I, I know to say Adam. It's, it's always Adam, but when I read it, it's a Tom. And so I am doing some intro lesson. I was in a married class years ago. And, and I wanted to use atoms and, and molecules. And, all, and I'm talking about things I don't really know a whole lot about. And so I'm, you know, I know a little bit, but I'm reading and I'm looking up. And so I'm saying atoms and I'm reading and I go to Tom's and, and I'm looking back up. I'm saying atoms. And about 10 minutes into it, this guy on the second row, he just busts out laughing. He goes, are you trying to say atoms? Because I kept saying the Tom's. And uh, so, you know, this just, it just like tears me up. I'm like, I cannot believe this. So I've done these things through the years. And so I'm teaching, I, I, I keep saying accelerate and I correct it and I say it wrong. I do this about four or five times. And by this time I'm starting to sweat. It's really bothering me that I'm stumbling around with this word accelerate. And I look up at my wife for some, you know, assurance. And she's looking at me going like, and I see the look and instantly, and this is absolutely terrible. I mean, it's terrible. Instantly, it ticks me off. And I just, and before I could stop myself, I said, well, why don't you just come on up here and teach this lesson? And then I tried to recover. And I said, oh, my wife knows this lesson better than I even know. She could do this great lesson. And no one laughs. My wife folds her arms and just looks at me. And I just go back to teaching. Well, it's like it's on revival radio. It's being broadcast all over the world. You know, I mean, they don't have a ton of people watching that source, but they're going to hear it later. And so I am like horrified. Well, I get done. I needed to talk to some other lady. And so my wife comes in the office. She doesn't say a word. We get done talking, get her to leave. And I said, hey, babe, I'll see you at the house. She just walks right off the door. doesn't say a word. I get home and she's like, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? And instantly, I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, it was terrible. And I'm sorry. And I'm just like, because I knew I was wrong. And I like, I, I said, it just, it, it ticked me off. And, and I said, it's like you were making fun of me. And I, I, you know, and I was just like really bothered by it. So anyway, it took, I had to go buy her a new purse. And, no, I'm kidding about that part. <laughs> it, but but it, it just really bothered. So here's what's funny. It's about two or three months later, up walks the, the guy and his wife who head up our AV ministry at the time, he says, Hey, 
Dr. Wilson, he says, we, we want to take those lessons you did on Accelerate. He goes, we're going to put it together into this 3D, uh, three CD series, and we're going to sell the CD series. And he says, are you okay with that? And I went, yes, said, that's cool. And all of a sudden it hit me. And I went like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I said, there's this one lesson, lesson number two, I say, accelerate wrong. And I said, I'm saying it right. Then I say it wrong. He goes, so you said it right for sure. And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, we can edit that. He said, we'll edit that out. He said, everything's great. And then I said, and, and, and now mind you, no one has said a word about me calling my wife out. That night, the next Sunday, no one says a word to me except for my wife. Now we're two to three months later. And I said, oh, one more thing. His wife starts laughing. She's like choking. She's laughing so hard. And she goes, you want us to edit out that part? Why don't you just come on up here and teach this lesson? <laughs> so I'm hoping that no one caught it, that I've covered it up. No, Everybody it. got it. Everybody knew I was aggravated. So it's been kind of the running joke around here. It's like, oh, why don't you just come on up here and teach this lesson? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Anyway, major mistake. Our home, our home pastor in West Virginia, you all have heard this quote before, used to say, every once in a while, God lets me blow it. He does it to do two things. Number one, check your Christianity. Number two, keep me humble. <laughs> all right, hey. Joyce, is there any that we got to go to? I've blown it the time. I've not managed the time well. I apologize, everybody. We got to wrap this up. I got to let Eugene go to church. He's got to change clothes because he's got to get a suit on. So, man, he's going to even be later to church. But anything pressing we got to deal with yet? No, I do think we got him. All right. Awesome. Him. Well, Eugene, thank you for being on. Thank you. Folks, I hope that you enjoyed it tonight. This man has been a, a great friend over this past year, and I'm so glad to have been able to introduce him to you. It's kind of the point of Friday Night with Friends, kind of bring some folks in a different format. We're used to seeing people behind the pulpit or, you know, more formal things. I find that this is as valuable, and sometimes you learn some things here that are even richer and perhaps more applicable than, than when we're up there, you know, stomping and snorting and, and spitting and sputtering. Um, and I like to spit and sputter. You all know that. Um, but, Eugene, thank you for being with us. It's thank a you, joy. Steve. And um, all of you, check out our website, newyorkupc.info. And I uh, hope that you enjoyed it tonight. We will be back on as we are Tuesday through Sunday, every night, 7 p.m., We'll be back on tomorrow night. We'll look forward to seeing you then. God bless you all.